Coming up on today's edition of the DNC Podcast, we unpack college football from this past weekend. A lot of upsets. Uh, we had Florida going down to Kentucky, and then Auburn beats LSU. Stanford beats number three Oregon. There are no longer any undefeated teams in the Pac-12. So we're going to talk about that, and then we're also going to get into week four of the NFL and what that told us. And then, of course, tonight's Monday night matchup between the Raiders and the Chargers. This one's going to be fun. Let's go. In a year that has been so Supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. You think having a 37 year old in Cincinnati? And the only thing else I got to say is, how about them Cowboys? Yeah! Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup, all blocked by James. Episode 76 of the DNC podcast, Dust. We were just chatting, man. I just figured let's just jump right into things. Today's going to be an absolute blast. It's going to be like us just sitting on the beach or sitting at a, I don't know, sitting somewhere and just talking sports. And um, I just figured today would be fun to do that and not really have an agenda. Um, we're obviously going to cover stuff that we need to cover, but there's so much crazy stuff. I was just telling you about how Lane Kiffin just tried to do a mic drop before playing Alabama. And I, I feel like everybody that tries to do that ends up getting blown out. I think like a few years back, a guy from Vanderbilt, they were, I think, undefeated at the time, which is ironic for Vanderbilt. They were undefeated, and, and after a game, they had just beaten somebody, and they're like, we won Alabama. We won Alabama. And I think like a week or two later, they got Alabama, and I think they got beat by like 40. Um, USC did that crazy entrance. Remember that video I've sent you of, of USC playing Alabama? This was probably like five, six years ago. But they were like doing that crazy entrance where they're like, hold me back, like guys crawling on the ground, and they got blown out. So I don't know if people like learn from history, but like maybe – don't talk about Alabama. Yeah, if I was playing a school in the SEC, I'd be like, I want Tennessee. I, I wouldn't be asking for Bama. I, I might ask for my Florida Gators <laughs> with how consistent they are week to week, but asking for Alabama, it's like, okay, you want to play five-star recruits at every position, not only their starters, but when they swap in their backups right. as well. Like th That's really what you want when you're a three, you know, a two-star program. thing with Ole Miss is like, this is the best <laughs> team you've had in the past 10 years, and you get smoked. You get that's absolutely true. smoked. The thing I love about yeah. Lane Kiffin, though, is yeah. at least he, like, keeps it 300. I mean, I've never – He does. I've, He'll probably leave Ole I've Miss I've never for a seen a coach soon. have, like, the one issue be you act like a 15-year-old boy and it not get better for 15 straight years. <laughs> like, he's the same – at least he's consistent. Like, he's the same guy and he's going to yeah. die the same guy. Like, that's the thing about Lane is Lane's going to be Lane, you know? Yeah, for sure. He's a great offensive mind. He kind of reminds me of McDaniels in that sense where, like, the guy gets football, especially from, like, an offensive position. Yeah. But there's just this different maturity with being a head coach where, like, you just don't say that crap, you know? Um, like, right, like, Saban right. – Maybe it's because he looks it's 15. Like Lane Kiffin literally has not aged. Yeah. Which is crazy because every year so. they get smacked by at least two programs. So you'd think there'd be some aging going on there. Yeah, so let's talk about another big name program that got smacked. So Notre Dame got smacked. And I don't I don't know what it is. It sucks because college football is so much better when the brands are better. USC, Notre Dame, um, Florida, Ohio State, Michigan, USC. And um, – Cincinnati, uh, so Desmond Ritter, their, their quarterback, was basically right before the game or a couple days before the game was getting interviewed. and he was Or he was talking to his coach, and he was like, hey, it's going to be loud. And Desmond Ritter is like, I don't expect it to be loud for too long. I mean, dude, they, they won by, I think, like 13. 
and um, met Cincinnati beating Notre Dame. I mean, I just – you touched on it last week. Like, what do you think it is about these big programs like Notre Dame, USC? Like, why can't they recruit, like, elite quarterbacks? Like, I'm just curious. It's very odd to me. I don't know because I think, I think Notre Dame now plays a spread. I think for a while the biggest thing was I think the pro-style offenses were really struggling because you would see all these quarterbacks go to the spread. It'd be really simple one-two read systems, right? You basically read half of the field, right? So you'd read the left half or the right half. It'd be a really simple read, and you see these guys who are freshmen and sophomores get into college football right off the bat and just throw crazy stats, 4,000 yards, you know, 3,500 yards. 30 touchdowns, and you see these guys get drafted. And I think that's what hurt USC for a really long time when they were a traditional, like, I-formation football team. I think that's what's hurt Michigan a lot with Jim Harbaugh, who's a quarterback coach at heart. Like, that's what he likes to recruit. That's the position he right. goes for. He played quarterback at Michigan back in the day. And I think the fact that there's so many of these, like, quote-unquote air raid systems, right? I mean, now Alabama's, you know, mm-hmm. they do ground and pound as well, but even a lot of their running they do from, like, the shotgun formation. They're more of, like, an air raid offense. I think that's really hurt a lot of these programs that have traditional been more like a, quote-unquote, NFL-style offense because these quarterbacks are like, I don't want to yeah. hand the ball off to a 1,200-yard rusher. I want to throw for 3,500 yards and get drafted. And I think the, I think the main yeah, thing sure. from college for football, sure. the change we've seen – is college football now, especially for the five-star guys, is less about college football. It's more about which program gets me to the NFL, like which program gets me on Sundays. Where I think in the, I think yeah, in the past true. it was like I want to play for this big program. There's all this history there. You know, there's no history at Clemson. Clemson's history goes back. It goes about ten years back. That's it, the history of Clemson. The reality is Clemson puts ten guys in the NFL every year and three guys in the first round. That's why Dabble recruits. Um, Alabama, there was a long time where there wasn't good history and they got saved. And now, you know, it seems like the most historic program in college football, but really it's been, they had history They had about a 20, 30 year gap where they won a good program and then they got saved. And now they just put everyone in the NFL. And I think that's what college football is about, where it's less about the brands like Notre Dame, USC, Texas, like Texas is a huge college football brand. Texas puts two guys in the NFL. That's why people don't go to Texas. Like that's why people go to Oklahoma. That's why people go to Georgia. That's why even Florida, how they've been super inconsistent, the reason they've been able to recruit so well is they still get guys in the NFL. They still get guys playing on Sunday. And I think that's been the biggest shift we've seen in college football. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, and that, so Paul Feinbaum, who is like the SEC guy, right? So he has an SEC uh, radio show and he covers all college football. He said this past week that Clemson's dynasty, like Dabo's dynasty, is over. What are your thoughts on that? I think last year he was comparing Dabo to Nick Saban. Um, So I would say he got a little caught up in the recency bias. I think it's really easy in mainstream media to be a hot take guy. But the same guys this year who hate Dabo. I think it's worse now more than ever. Every every show is hot hot takes. takes. Last year people were saying it's cool. No, it was Trevor Lawrence's freshman year. People were saying – it's Clemson taking over Alabama, right? Then his sophomore year, all right, maybe they're not taking right. over, but they're there with Bama. And you have one down season. The funny thing is, like, Clemson's literally still going to win seven games. Maybe they go three and seven, which for most programs, that's like their best year in the past five years, right? Which is obviously a down year for Clemson. And it shows how great Dabble's been where you lose two games and people completely write you off, right? 
it happens with pretty much every program besides Alabama, where eventually you, yep. you mess up on one recruiting class or you get one quarterback wrong. I mean, college football is less quarterback driven than the NFL, but still you miss on a few quarterbacks and you're not the same program. I mean, that's what's happened with Florida since Tebow left. Florida's recruited every position well. Great point. They've recruited defense really well. Offensive skill positions are always a top 10 recruiting class. They can't figure out the quarterback position. That's what's keeping them out. You look at Texas A&M. As soon as they lost John Amenzel, they couldn't get the same type of quarterback, and they've been out of it, right? They're still recruiting five-star players yep. across the field, and I think that's the biggest thing yep. is – you know, maybe DJ has a great year next year and then Davos a top three coach again. I mean, come on. The guy's been great for the past 15 years. He has one down year. Their conference is actually playing a little bit better. And now we're saying Clemson's done? Like, come on. Yeah, it's just foolish because Davos still going to get five-star guys. And I think the, the point that you alluded to, which I 100% agree with and was a fantastic point, was that, I mean, if you just look at the teams this year that are really genuinely in the mix for a national championship, like – I don't care. Like I was the eighth ranked team. They're probably going to bump up to like six or, you know, they're seven. They're three now. Yeah. Three. Like, oh, they're three now. Okay. So Number they're three. three. Okay. So I was like, stop. Like they're not going to compete for a national championship. Okay. Um, I think the only team I, well, I thought Florida because of how they played Alabama and then Georgia were the two teams that I thought could potentially compete with Alabama. But after, after Florida's loss to Kentucky, it's just over. Um, but Georgia's got a legit chance. Like they're the only team that has a legit chance because defensively they are so unbelievably stout. Um, but if you go and look at like, okay, if you look at Oklahoma, even though they're like scrapping by, um, they're still winning. Right. But they're, they're gonna, they're gonna probably get into the playoff, but they have a good quarterback. Like Spencer Rattler hasn't played to the level that many expected. Like everybody said he was the preseason Heisman favorite potential number one pick in the draft. And he just hasn't panned out the way that people thought. But he still is one of the top quarterbacks in college football. Michigan. Michigan's going to potentially, if they keep winning, but who knows? It's Jim Harbaugh. They might lose a game to like Michigan State or something like that. They're going to get uh, smacked by Ohio State. He can't beat Ohio State. <laughs> you it think doesn't so? matter. I don't he can't beat him. He doesn't have it in him. I love Jim. Jim's like a top five favorite coach of mine all the time. He cannot beat Ohio State. He just can't. It's not his. I just I don't trust CJ Stroud. I don't know. I just like they like Ohio State's blown out bad teams this year, but I I don't know. There's something about that's what happens when you play in the Big Ten after your teams are just trash. I mean, Urban Meyer is the greatest example of that. You know, you play in Alabama every week now. Well, speaking of Urban Meyer, um. So there's a video. Somebody caught a video. This is dude, this is why nowadays, like, if I was famous, I would never go anywhere. Like, there's no because everybody has a walking camcorder on their in their pocket, and I'm just I'm not gonna fall victim to that because even if you're not doing anything wrong, somebody can catch a video of you potentially doing the wrong thing. Maybe even Photoshop the video. But I just literally wouldn't go anywhere. I would hire like a stunt double. Like some like how actors have stunt doubles in movies, I would just hire somebody that looks like similar to me, and then like I would just have that person go do all of like the, like, the minute things like go to the grocery store, you know. Obviously, I would have to like go out at some point, but I would only go out to like specific places, you know, because I'd fly private. I would you know go to like if I went on vacations, I would stay in like exclusive resorts or exclusive hotel rooms where like you really couldn't see me go through like the back I was elevator just, 
I was just surprised that the girl he had grinding on her, grinding on him, looked so close to Trevor Lawrence because it seems like he hates Trevor Lawrence with his play calling. <laughs> like, I would have thought it would have been some brunette chick because it seems like his least favorite player on his football team is Trevor Lawrence because he's doing everything possible in the second half of every game to make sure, oh, the game's kind of close. Well, let me make sure we lose this game. Yeah. You'd think that he wouldn't pick a girl with long blonde hair, you know? Yeah. Well, so – just for everybody listening. So what happened was somebody had recorded Urban Meyer at a bar um, and some girl was dancing on his lap. So what are your thoughts on this, man? Like, do you think, do you think it becomes an issue? Uh, do you think Urban plotted this to get out of the NFL? Like, cause Urban always bounces when stuff gets tough. So what are your thoughts on this, man? Do you think it's going to be like any type of a story or do you think this thing just dies? To me, it just like screams college high school coach. You like because like you can see like high school high school my goodness I mean couldn't you see Lane Kiffin like after getting blown out to Alabama going to a local yeah, bar for sure getting just absolutely yeah, sure. shammered and then having some chick grind up on him like you can see that <laughs> in college football like I think in college football especially like in the SEC or these more like college towns like it's probably pretty acceptable right where in the NFL it's like that's where you have to be buttoned up that's where you have to be a CEO and. You know, it's one thing to maybe go out and get, you know, hammered after like a win, but to be that bad and it's like, why aren't you in your office watching film? And I get, you know, he's probably watching film all the time, but it's just, it's a really bad book. And for a guy like Urban Meyer, who the one I think knock against him is it seems like at least for the past 10 years, whenever his program's been somewhat derailed or there's been another challenger to his program, right? As soon as Alabama started being the best team in the SEC, right? There was a while where Florida was running the SEC, basically when he had Tebow, yeah. right? Like yeah. Florida was a team in mm-hmm. the SEC. Then that last year, um, I think Tebow's senior year is when they lost to Alabama in the SEC championship, right? And then right after that, that's where the transition started to occur. And it was very shortly after that where Urban kind of decided, hey, I'm going to you know take, my, take all my money and I'm going to bounce, right? And then he takes a few years off, goes to Ohio State. The Ohio State situation was, I think, a little bit different because – there was never really an issue at Ohio State, right? But he left Ohio State, and this Jacksonville situation—I mean, you're not gonna—you're not gonna win a lot of games in Jacksonville, right? He, luckily for him, he's not in the best division, right? Both the Colts and Titans are struggling. The the Houston Texans are a dumpster fire. But the NFL, like to his point, I mean, I still can't forget the quote. It's like Alabama every week. Well, yeah, it's the best players on college footballs. You know, the best college football players every week. And for I just don't see it right. being as easy as he probably thought it was going to be because when he was coaching in college football, whether you like Urban or not, I I think the one thing you have to at least be honest about is he's a top five college football offensive mind. Like he's one of the best college football coaches where in the NFL, everyone is the best of the best. You're playing the best coordinators on offensive and defensive side, special teams, head coaches. Like this is the absolute cream of the crop. And so just a little bit of talent isn't enough. And I think for Urban, I think it's a little bit more of a wake-up call than he was ready for. I don't know if he makes it through the season. I just – I don't know if Urban has it in him to stick it out if they start 0-12. I could see, uh, you know, if USC comes a calling, man, I'm still not shocked if he he leaves. Yeah, I think there's just – like when you look at certain coaches and Nick Saban's the best example – just being self-aware of like what you're great at. And it's okay that Nick Saban and Nick Saban wasn't like a horrendous coach in the NFL. Like I think they, 
think his two seasons in Miami, I want to say they won like a total of 12 or 13 games. So it wasn't like they were horrendous. Like Urban Meyer's 0-4, right? So, and you can't say like Nick Saban didn't walk into like a great situation, right? Like he walked into Miami with no quarterback and he chose between Dante Culpepper and Drew Brees and ended up choosing Dante Culpepper, right? So it wasn't like he just had all this talent. But I think he was just self-aware enough to know like, hey, I could probably be like a decent NFL head coach, but I could go back to college and be like the all-time greatest head coach to ever do this. And so it's not that I think Urban Meyer could compete with Nick on that level in college. I mean, obviously, I think if he went to a bigger program, like let's say he goes back to Florida, right? He could recruit enough to be – year in and year out, a playoff team, maybe win some here and there against Alabama. But ultimately, like he's, to me, when you are a brand new head coach and you're saying that it's, it's like playing Alabama every week and you haven't even, like at that point, I think they were in like week two. Like that's not good. That's not a good look. And then you're at a bar, like you're a grown man. You're a family man. You have a wife, you have grown kids and you're at a bar. Like, I just don't understand that. But um, I think he thought getting Trevor Lawrence was going to be his meal ticket. Like, I thought he probably thought, hey, like, I'm getting the greatest quarterback prospect since maybe Andrew Luck. Um, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to I'm going to do what I've done and I'm going to and this thing's going to work. And so, like, just like anything in life, like, what do you do when adversity hits? Like, how do you respond to that? And the thing I have not liked about Urban Meyer, along with many other things, is that I don't like his body language. Like I'm okay with a guy wearing his heart on his sleeve, but Urban is very immature in the way that he responds to every little thing that happens throughout a football game. Like this is bad, right? So add this to the laundry list of things that Urban's done. So during, I don't know if you watched the entire game last week on Thursday night between the Bengals and Jags, but the commentators literally said that Trevor Lawrence's body language and the way that he's responded to the 0-3 start was better than Urban's. That's like, you're a grown man. Trevor Lawrence is 21 years old and you have people already saying that he's responding better. I, It's just not good, man. And I really feel for Trevor. So what did you think of that Thursday night matchup, right? Obviously we had Jacksonville Bengals. I think we were probably two out of the 15 people in the whole U.S. that was actually excited about the matchup. I really like for sure. I really like Burrow. I, there's something about him where I don't. How can you not? I don't man? think he's the most talented of you know the quarterbacks drafted in the last two or three years, right? I think Justin Herbert, you would say, has more natural ability, right? I would I would say Trevor sure. Lawrence has more natural ability, right? But there's just something about Burrow's where he has this like cocky confidence, but I feel like it's more confident than cocky, where. When he gets the ball and you just see that look in his eyes, like you just feel like he's gonna win you that game. Like it seems like he has that it thing. Like it's similar to, you know, and I'm not comparing him to Brady, but I think with Brady, when you look at when Brady played, like Brady was never the most talented at the position. Like still right now, like when he was in his prime and Aaron Rodgers was in his prime, Aaron Rodgers was a more talented player. When you talk about his athletic ability. Man, even when Peyton yeah, his nobody ever let Peyton yeah, Peyton was like the guy. Yeah. It was like it didn't matter how many Super Bowls Tom won. Everybody continued to say that Peyton yeah. was the best. But with Brady, there was just like this it thing where you're like, I feel like Brady's going to find a way. I'm starting to feel that way about Burrow. 
It's just the coaching situation in Cincinnati scares me to death because I don't like their head coach. <laughs> but I really like Brew, and I was really impressed. I mean, they're 3-1. and one. Their division's definitely been really interesting this year with the Browns, you know, barely beating the Vikings last week. Could we have been more wrong on the Steelers? My goodness. And then you look at the Ravens. They beat a uh, – a 3-0 Broncos team that was 3-0 against teams that were 0-9. Hey, but my boy Teddy Bridgewater got hurt in the first That's half. True. That's true. So, I mean, but what did you th- I think well, – so, go ahead. No, but what do you think about that matchup? I mean, wh- is that what you were expecting? Um, it, it definitely had like a slow start, but I thought the Bengals came out in the second half, really played well. Burrow, you can tell he's still not 100% with a knee, but it seems like every week he's getting a little bit more comfortable. My boy, uh, Jamar Chase, remember how to catch football, so I'm, I'm hyped on that. It's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I gotta I gotta give you that one because I mean it's only it's I mean, only week look, four. It's, yeah, no, I, I get that, but still, like he's he's turning a corner, which is great. Like I'm happy for Joe Burrow's sake. I'm happy for him. Like I don't want the kid to fail, but yeah, I just I just didn't think he was as good as people were making him out to be. Like, and I would have never drafted him as high as they did. I would have 100 percent still to this day taken Panay Sewell. Like, I still because at the end of the day, like. To me, what's weird is that you would draft Burrow. He has a horrific knee injury in his rookie year. And then you still draft a receiver. And that's the part that, like, you talk about the head coach. I agree with you. I don't think Zach Taylor is the guy. But what scares me more is the front office and that organization. Because it's not my words. It's Carson Palmer's words. When Carson Palmer was the number one overall pick in 2003, he he literally bashed Cincinnati. I mean, he like forced this was like before guys really forced their way out of franchises in sports. Like Carson forced his way out of Cincinnati. It was that bad. And I think Joe is one of those guys that's like loyal. And even though he wears like this, it's it's this really, really, really um it's weird. It's kind of like a mysterious confidence. Like, you know he's confident, but there's times where it's like he's just whether he's being interviewed or on the field, like he's just super humble. Um, but it's kind of a different type of confidence than I, that I'm like accustomed to seeing. And um, it's just unique to his personality. Cause you can tell he's kind of introverted. Like when he's interviewed, he seems kind of introverted to me, um, but he's a guy that really believes in himself. And so I don't know if he'll be the guy that like forces his way out, but this front office, like, if they don't protect him, like, I really don't care what skill position guys you put around him because he's going to get hurt. Like, Andrew Luck should be the blueprint for every franchise because Andrew Luck, you and I talked about this, I think, actually, on Thursday night before the game. We were talking about Andrew Luck, and I was just saying, man, like, we were kind of reminiscing, and I was like, this guy was so elite. Like, we, we don't even get to appreciate because it was, like, here and gone so fast. We don't even get to appreciate the greatness of Andrew Luck. Like he took the worst team in football and they were bad. Like people talk about, oh, well, this guy's offensive line. Like Justin Fields has a horrible offensive line. Do we need to go back to the 2012 Indianapolis Colts who had no skill positions, a horrible offensive line, no running game, and an okay defense? And they won 11 games? Like the dude was on another level. Like People talk about Patrick Mahomes being that guy. No, 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 no. Andrew Luck was that guy. He just wasn't, he was kind of goofy, right? Like guy had a flip phone, didn't believe in social media, like was just a total down to earth, like I'm going to play football. I love the game and I'm going to go out there and dominate. 
And because he wasn't that figurehead, like people didn't talk about him the same same way they talked about Mahomes. Because I would take Andrew Luck like literally without batting an eye over over Patrick Mahomes. Like it's not even close to me. And so, um, so when I look at Burrow and Cincy, like the fact that you decide, like you have you, supposedly a generational left tackle, and you take a receiver, a six foot one ninety five receiver, like that's that's the stuff I'm talking about. And look, Jamar Chase has had a great start to his career. I'm happy for him. But dude, like. Andrew Luck's got to be the blueprint. Like if I'm Jacksonville, for real, if you and I had the chance to be the co-GM of the Jacksonville Jaguars, wouldn't we take offensive linemen for like the next four drafts? 100%. I mean, Vanessa Hall hasn't given up a sack at left tackle since his sophomore year. Right. Like he still has like, he struggled in the preseason at right tackle and people were saying it was a bust. And it's like, well, you have to realize like switching to right tackle and left tackle, although right. it seems similar, right. you're doing the exact opposite. Like all of your foot mechanics and exactly. hands opposite, exactly. they moved him to left Good tackle point. and he's been phenomenal. And so, yeah, I, I didn't really get that when he was sitting there. And especially with this draft, when you had, you know, Elijah Moore, who I think the Jets took in the second round, there was a lot of talent at the skill position um position you could have gotten somebody else as well as free agency and so yeah i mean there's still a lot of time exactly. to tell on it but yeah, i mean they're three and one they're playing really well um i know we kind of mentioned justin fields right so chicago bears got the win this week right it sounds it sounds like there's no matt Nagy hate um interesting though because jared goff extremely outplayed him right jared goff was 24 of 38 299 justin fields had a very uh, pedestrian game 11 of 17 with a pick you look at their their the way they play this game. <laughs> David Montgomery. The emphasis on that right? was wonderful. David Montgomery, twenty three carries. Damian Williams, eight carries. I mean, they ran the ball. What was it? Almost forty times to his seventeen passes, right? And so I think that's the part for me where it was like after the game, all the talk is, "Well, Justin Fields got his first win, right?" And Nagy gets none of the credit for it. I mean, Justin Fields didn't win this game. He didn't lose this game to a not that great Detroit Lions team, right? I mean, the Bears defense completely showed out. Jared Goff did everything he could to keep his team in the game. You look at the two teams and. From a skill position standpoint, an offensive skill position standpoint, a defensive position standpoint, the Bears are stacked at every position, and yet Justin Fields barely did enough to not lose the game. But that's no nobody wants to talk about that. It's oh, Justin Fields got his first win. He had two really nice throws out of seventeen, and so now it's like oh, Justin Fields is the reason they won this game. Justin Fields isn't the reason they won the game at all. Like you could tell by the play calling. He's so limited at a, as a passer right now that they're just making sure that he has a few wide open reads throughout the game. But I mean, I don't, I don't get it. It's like last week it was like everybody fire Nagy. Nagy finds a way to win this game this week, and he still gets no credit, and it's all going to Justin Fields, and he played bad. Right, right. Well, I think you when we were watching the Clemson Ohio State game last year when Fields Fields and uh, Trevor Lawrence went up against each other in the uh, semi semi playoff round. You were talking about because he went off that game, right? But a lot of his, all of his touchdowns and big yards came off like bombs, like deep passes. Okay, and that's what happened in this game is he connected on a few deep balls. Here's the thing: in the NFL, you're not going to get that every game. You're not going to get that every play unless you're like Patrick Mahomes, right? So you're going to have to learn. Like it's so weird to me that people are critical of quarterbacks that quote unquote dink and dunk, but. The whole reason Bill Walsh, right? So he's the inventor of the West Coast offense. The whole reason he invented that offense was because he figured, hey, like if I can throw the ball and have success 
like I would running the ball. Like the obviously, if you're handing off a football, I mean, unless you fumble the exchange, the percentages are probably close to 100% that you're going to get the from the ball from the quarterback to the running back. Now, obviously, it's up to the running back and the offensive line for there to be a positive gain. But he's like, if I can throw the football and have like as close to a, a completion success rate as I do running the ball, then why not pass it and get the ball in my playmaker's hands and see if they can make a play. And it's just very odd to me that people like criticize that, like as if it's a negative thing, but I don't really understand that. So like when I watch Justin Fields play football and I watch Mac Jones play football, it's two completely different positions because from, from the position of, of Justin Fields, it's let's really, really water down the offense. Let's take a few shots and hope we connect, which is what happened. But if you watch Mac Jones on multiple occasions, and again, not my words, Chris Collinsworth, him going through three and four progressions, and they were blitzing at like a 60% rate last night. And you want to talk about Justin Fields? Don't talk to me about Justin Fields. I'm not saying the guy can't be good, but just stop it. Like, where's everybody that was screaming on all of these news networks about how, how erroneous it was that Justin Fields wasn't a starting quarterback? And I think we're seeing that. Like, And by the way, you're right, man. I have been very impressed by Jared Goff. Like, I don't care that the Lions are bad in their own four, but like, he's been pretty, pretty solid, like very solid. And I've been really impressed, man, because I'm not a Jared Goff fan. And um, I thought, honestly, he was going to struggle without Sean McVay. But I mean, dude, the guy's 24, 38, almost 300 yards and two TDs, no picks against a really, really good defense. You got to tip your hat. Let's let's talk about another rookie quarterback, man. So Zach Wilson gets his first win. What are your thoughts on Zach? I mean, I got more more thoughts on Tennessee, man. How do you go into New York and lose that game? How do you lose that game? Ooh, ooh, that's your Titans, Titans, dude. That game. I think Zach Wilson. It was an interesting. I mean, Derrick Henry went for a buck fifty-seven. Yeah, no. so there's no issue. Yeah, no, there. Henry played great. I think Wilson. I mean, he had some highs and lows in this game, right? When you look at it, he had the bomb to yeah. Corey Davis, right? To you know put them in a position to go up top. But then in the fourth quarter with three minutes left, he had Corey Davis on like a 13-yard out route, which would have sealed the game at that point, and he overthrew him wide by about five yards, right? And so I think that's the thing with Zach where you – The visor must have been fogging up. Yeah, man. I, you look at the arm talent. I think this <laughs> is partly like the negative Patrick Mahomes effect where – Having arm talent and these like side angles and all these like highlight throws is so sexy that quarterbacks are getting a little lazy with their fundamentals. And what I mean by that is like mm-hmm. if Zach Wilson just rolls out, plants his foot, and makes it an easy throw, he's hitting Corey Davis. I mean, he has the arm talent. I mean, we saw the touchdown late to Corey Davis, right, to put them up at that point in the game. And so, right, I think that's the part to me where you know. As Tony Romo says, the guy's as gifted as almost every quarterback out there. He has the ability. It's just not creating really bad habits in your rookie year when you're on, you know, probably the worst roster on the field every Sunday, right? Like every team you're going up against has a better roster than you do, right? And so when you look at it, it's really how do I limit my mistakes? How do I not create turnovers? How do I create a good foundation? And so good for them to get the win, but the Jets have been just an interesting team to watch this season. They're not a very good football team. They haven't played defense to the level you think they would when you, you know, um, hire a defensive-minded head coach. And so, you know, good for him to get his first win. But I think from Tennessee, you look at it, and you had a great chance to really 
you know, control the division, right? The Colts get their first win now, and so now the Colts are one and three or two and two. If you're a Titans fan, you'd much rather be three and one today, right? You had a really good chance to force overtime. You got the ball back, and with Derrick Henry, you have Ryan Tannehill. You have a lot of skill positions out there, you know, to have to settle for, I think, a 56-plus yard field goal to try to then tie it. Like, why are we going for the tie in overtime? That's the thing I hate, man. Like, go right. for the win. And um, But you, you got to tip your hat to him. I think the biggest game for me on Sunday – was Arizona, Los Angeles, right? Cardinals was first Rams. And I was honestly like, I haven't been that bullish on the Cardinals. I've been very, very bullish on the Rams. And I think we saw two things in this game. I think from the Rams standpoint, offensively, and this is, I think, one of the reasons you have to give Tampa Bay so much credit last year with Brady is when you look at the Rams offense, after Cooper Cup, you can really tell as of right now, Stafford's not comfortable with everybody else. And, you know, yeah, I don't think he, sure. I don't think he played at all in the preseason and, you know, it's only week four. And so it makes sense, but the Cardinals did a phenomenal job of is really get him and Cooper's timing off, pressing him at the line of scrimmage and really making him fight to get open. And you could really tell that Stafford when cup wasn't open, he was still forcing him the ball and he wasn't as comfortable with all the other players. And then defensively, right. The Rams do such a great job rushing up the middle, right? Led by Aaron Donald. And when you're playing teams like Tampa, right, that have Tom Brady at quarterbacks is more of a statue, that's the best type of pass rush you can do is get in a guy's face, right, rush up the gut. Well, when you play a guy like Kyler Murray in Arizona, it's really more about containment. And that's where the Rams right. really shot themselves in the foot is they did such a great job rushing up the middle, but their containment was so weak that Kyler Murray got to the outside at ease. And whether it was running the football or throwing the football on the run, that's where, as a cornerback, you can't cover a guy for seven seconds. I don't care if you're Darrell Revis in your prime, you can't cover a guy for seven seconds, right? And so when you rush up the middle and you let a guy get outside and evade the rush, and now we can kind of sit back there and move and that's what's most impressive to me about Kyler Murray is for a young guy in the league, the way he evades a rush and literally waits till the last second to run every single time and really try to find his guys open downfield is what's most impressive about him. I still have, I think, concerns about him long term just because he's not a big guy. And as you take hits and they compound, I think it scares me a little bit. But where I right. think he... I think elite's a strong word, but where I think he's, I think the best part of his game is his ability to get outside of the pocket and look, look downfield, go through progressions, read in a very tight window versus always looking to run like a guy like Lamar in Baltimore. I think that's what's separated Ky, um, Kyler Murray and what's going to give Arizona a chance down the stretch. I mean, they're not the same football team they were last year. You can tell they're way better coached. They're playing way better consistently defensively. I was really impressed with their performance. I think the Rams also like coming off of that game last week versus Tampa, right? It's hard to not be down a little bit. Like you got so up for that game. McVay even said like, this is the biggest regular season game we've had in a while. And so it was probably expected for them to be a little bit down, but I mean, if anything, my takeaway was Arizona played a hell of a football game. Yeah, I mean, I I still texted you though, and there's like something about Arizona that I'm not willing to like jump on the bandwagon yet because I don't know. I, I just don't know if their team is constructed for for a deep playoff run. Um, but I've got to. I mean, we've been critical of Kyler Murray on our show uh, dating back to last year, but I don't I don't think that he's a guy that will have long term success. But you can't discount the fact that he's having a great start to this season. 
Um, and he's doing it, he's doing it, throwing the football. And, you know, I think if there's, if there's a guy that's in the league right now that has a chance, like I'm not writing him off completely, but I I've said it, I think a last, either last week or the week prior that he is the closest to Russell Wilson that we have. And the thing about Russ, and if you look at how long he's been able to sustain his greatness, um, he's obviously around the same height as Kyler and, but he's a lot thicker than Kyler. And, um, you know, and the thing with Kyler is that like when he's no longer able to be a guy that scares you running the football, um, you know, cause the thing about Russell that a lot of people don't realize is like Russell, Russell's a pocket passer. He's just really great within the pocket and he's great at extending plays. And I think we're seeing a little bit more of that with Kyler this year. Whereas in the past it was like one read. And if it ain't there, I'm taking off because I have elite speed. So I have to tip my hat to him in that regard um, and give him credit where credit is due. I mean, dude, they beat a great football team, like arguably the best team in the, in, in the NFL. Um, and you have to tip your hat. Like you can't walk away from this and like try to just nitpick every little thing because we want to do that. But I do love how you always got to slide something in about Lamar every podcast. I love how we do that. You know, it's weird, man. I personally, like I said, I like Lamar even better than Kyler, like not as a prospect, but like, I like, I like Lamar a lot, man. I really do. I just, I really... I really just can't stand that people like somebody, I think it was maybe um, uh, who had said this. My, it probably was Dan Orlovsky to be honest, but it wasn't. It, oh no. Stephen A. Stephen A said that he is already better than Michael Vick. And I just, I don't really know what to say about that, but um, a game I want to talk about, man, that was very interesting for me is um, the, uh, the, not the Ravens, excuse me, the Seahawks Niners. So, I texted you because Jimmy Garoppolo got pulled in the in the first half, and um, you're like, "Did he get benched?" I was like, "No, he got hurt." You're like, "He's made of glass." What are your thoughts? You know, they say in the NFL that you're not supposed to lose your job to to injury, but we all learned that with Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick, that was not the case. What do you think is going to happen with Jimmy G, man? It's a calf injury, so it's probably not super severe. Um, obviously, it's not it's not season ending, but it could be one of those things that lingers like a hamstring. Uh, what are your thoughts on this situation, man? I don't think Trey Lance like did enough to win the job. I mean, you look at it, he had a 50% completion rate. He had a huge play to yep. Debo Samuel, but that was a... <laughs> Which he underthrew. Yeah, it was, a, it was a blown coverage by Seattle. I mean, the, the play call that the Niners did was Jamal great, Adams? right? I don't think that one was my boy Jamal. Uh, they want to have him drop back. It was Jamal. Oh, really? Well, was- if you... Yeah, if you... If you well, it, well, I don't know if it was necessarily Jamal, but he was playing zone and... He like literally mid throw Jamal's pointing behind him, basically saying like safety or corner needs to get this guy. Cause I'm dropping in my zone yeah. and uh, nobody was there. Yeah. And so it's like, he had the one big play for 75 yards, but if you take that away, he really didn't do anything to move the ball. And I think Kyle Shanahan at this point, I don't think Kyle Shanahan's on the hot seat because I think he's still looked at as like a hot offensive mind. And like no, there's top, no way he is. But there's when no you way. look at it, like the Niners have been like really inconsistent since he's taken over as head coach. The biggest contributor to that has been injuries. But at the end of the day, like it still is your job to win football games. I still think right now, because they're one of the few rosters where I don't think their success 100% relies on like quarterback dominance. And what I mean by that is they play really good defense most of the time, right? Or at least they're built to play good defense. They're built to run the ball. And it's more of a West Coast um, pass, at, you know, play action, short passing game offense. And so you don't need to have 
you know, a generational talent at quarterback, which I'm not saying uh, Trey Lance is, but I'm saying, you know, I think they drafted Trey Lance for next year and the year after that. I really think at this point they look at him as more of a developmental piece. Now, if Garoppolo can't stay healthy, you know, maybe you go to Trey Lance because if no he choice. can be on the field consistently, like you can build around that. But if Jimmy G's back next week, I think you still have Jimmy G as your starter. Trey Lance has come out in like special packages on third and short because of his running ability or near the goal line. I think they probably still like utilize him in that scenario. It's almost like Tim Tebow in Georgia his freshman year, right? When they was it Chris Leaf, I think. No, not Chris Leaf, who was a quarterback. Chris Leaf. Chris Leaf, yeah. Who was a quarterback, Leak. right? Who they brought in. Dude, he was he was a beast, bro. N- People 12, forget about maybe. Chris Leak. Um, and so I, I still think Garoppolo has a job. Um, you know, Russell Wilson does what he does. He finds a way to win these games that he really shouldn't win when yeah. you look at like the two Absolutely. rosters, and he he found a way to pull that one out. A game I want to talk about because um, I'm I'm gonna I'm waiting to find out when Jerry Jones decides to pay Trevor Diggs eight years two hundred million. Um, but the guys Trevon Diggs, Trevon yeah. Diggs, man, the guy's absolutely on fire. Five interceptions in four games, playing great football. You guys, you know, I know you've been sleeping a little bit on my Panthers, right? They lost their first game. Um, you guys have been on fire this year. They were the number one ranked defense going in. Gave up 36 points. Sam Darnold actually leads the NFL in rushing yards. And not, rushing not, touchdowns. Sorry, rushing touchdowns. Yeah, look at him. Not just at the quarterback position, but out of every position in football, right? Leads the NFL in rushing touchdowns. And so they've definitely found a way to use all of his skill set. But great win for you guys. The scoreboard really wasn't even as like close as it seemed, right? They scored late. You guys won 36 to 28. Really dominated the second half. Yeah, defense half. got lazy. Yeah, defense got lazy. Mm-hmm. You guys really dominated the second half. What do you think of the game, man? Yeah, no, uh, I think, look, what I was thinking about this yesterday when I, when we did the preseason picks for division winners, you know, and I picked Washington and I wasn't trying to like be self-deprecating. Like I genuinely felt like Washington had the better team on paper. You know, when you look at our talent, like offensively, like there's very few that match up offensively in terms of like on paper talent. But when I looked at Washington last year and I looked at our team, um, I just felt more comfortable. Like I knew we'd be a competitive team. I knew we'd be like in the mix, but I thought Washington would would edge it out. And the things that I was hanging my hat on have been the opposite, which is why we're getting the results we are. I mean, Washington should be one and three right now. They went down to the wire against Atlanta yesterday. Um, but the thing about Washington that you and I and you and I both picked. Or no, you did you pick the Cowboys? I, you picked, I picked my the Cowboys, Cowboys yeah. didn't you? Okay, so the thing about Washington was. Their, their front seven, I think, is the best in football. And and um, I thought they were obviously going to build on their success from last year and, and be dominant and, um, you know, just run the football. Like, obviously, Ryan Fitzpatrick got hurt in the first half of the first game. But I was like, man, he he can do what they need uh, to win football games, run the football, play great defense. Um, kind of a, a watered-down version of what Shanahan's building in San Francisco. And my concern was Dak and and our defense. And when I say Dak, I mean, because of how he's been against really good teams, he hasn't been successful and effective. And when we have guys get hurt, which week one, we didn't have Zach Martin. And then after week one, we lost Lyle Collins. So it's like, we can't ever get all three guys on the same field at the same time. And so I'm like, man, I just, I don't know. Like, that's the thing about Dak for me that I was like, 
That's why I didn't want to pay him because I didn't think he was a guy that elevated talent. There's a lot of things, and I've said it on the show, like there's tons of stuff I love about Dak. And I had no issue with him being our quarterback. It wasn't like I didn't want him. I just didn't want to pay him as the second highest paid guy in the league because he's not that guy. And um, and he's played great football. And I, I there's nothing negative that I can say right now because he's played efficient, elite football. And that's just, we haven't seen that from Dak. We've seen it at times and in stretches and it gets bad teams or in garbage time, but we haven't really seen it like throughout a game and against good football teams. So that's why we are looking at the situation that we are, which is Washington's two and two and we're three and we're three and one and that we very well could be four and oh. And we lost to obviously the bucks in the opening week and the opening game of the season. Um, and that was, a, that was a shootout, right? Like we were winning that game and you gave Tom too much time. And so, uh, so I feel really good, man. You know, obviously Carolina was the number one ranked defense. Um, we're like the number one defense in terms of turnovers right now. So that's key, right? Because <clears throat> when, when you look at Sam, he threw two picks in this game, right? So I mean, when you turn the ball over, like every time you do, right, you decrease your chances of winning a game. And so um, – but I thought Carolina, I think I, I've, I'm wrong. Like I'm going to come out and say, even though they, they lost to us, I think this is a really solid football team. I don't know if they make the playoffs, but I think they're going to be in the mix very, very late. Um, and that's because they play great defense. And I think Matt rule, man, like people talk about Shanahan McVay, you know, all these offensive minds, LaFleur, but dude, he has done, I mean, literally you and I, have, I, I don't know. Do you still feel the same way about Sam Darnold? Because I'm like, this guy's figured out how to use Sam Darnold in like four games. And um, I've been really impressed with Carolina, man. You hit the nail on the head with that because you predicted that preseason. But um, I feel really good. I think I think we're going to win the division this year. Um, even though I picked Washington, like obviously. But I'm just saying like what my eyes see. I just I, Washington's going to be too inconsistent unless they figure out their defense. But um, I, f- I feel really, really good, man. Like our one loss being Tampa – and it being that type of a game, week one, I feel really good. What are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, my big, like my biggest knock about your guys' week one loss wasn't even the loss because I was like, to me, the biggest concern was the the passing to rushing ratio, right? I think yeah, like for you sure. guys rushed like seven seven passes for every one rush. Where if you look at this game, right, Dak only threw the ball twenty two times. You guys ran for over almost two hundred and fifty yards. You guys ran for two forty five, right? And let so me just say this real quick: touches. Carolina yeah. hadn't given up more than twenty five yards rushing all season to any team. Yeah, and so it's like you really look at like Kellen Moore and what he did after week one, and he's like, you know, yeah, we need sure. to, especially with our defense. I think this is like what a lot of coordinators don't do is they don't look at like both sides of the football and how can we put both sides in the best position possible when you look at Dallas right like defensively from a statistical standpoint versus a pass and versus the rest you guys aren't dominant what you guys have done really well through four weeks is turn over the football and the best way you can do that is to be fresh and how do you stay fresh well, you hold the ball a lot offensively, right? And how do you hold the ball a lot offensively? You run the football. You eat clock. You do 12-play drives, 8-play drives. You're not always going for the home run. I think that's the change Dallas made after week two is they said, hey, we can stay in football games if we don't give the other team 55 offensive plays. If we can limit their offensive plays and we can play ground-and-pound football and then give Dak an opportunity to make some big plays with all of the skilled players he has outside, that's the best 
place we have to win football games. And that's what they did this week. You know, you know, nobody on the outside had a great game. Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, um, you know, Cedric Wilson. But they still – you guys still won the football game because you got a great performance from Zeke. Tony Pollard uh, played a heck of a game as well. Dak ran the ball efficiently, four carries for 35 yards. And I think that's a formula that Dallas needs to do. And I think for me, from watching the game, what was so impressive to me is you look at the game at halftime, right? And you guys are down. Still a close game. You guys are down, you know, 14 to 13. Normally, that's when Kellen Moore would throw out the game plan and go, crap, we're down. We can't run the football. We have to go air raid, right? And he didn't. He stuck with the game plan for four corners. You guys scored 20 points in the third quarter. I think for me, consistently, like that's the that's what we need to see from Dallas is it can't be this, you know, up and down roller coaster type of a season. It has to be consistent quarter through quarter. And it seems like Kellen Moore is getting more comfortable with that, right? He's still a younger offensive coordinator. I think for me, that was what was most impressive because Carolina's a good football team. You know, maybe they finish with, you know, you know, nine, ten games this year. They're not gonna probably, you know, compete for the Super Bowl by any means, but they're going to be a solid team in every game, week in and week out. And to win that type of quality game against a good football team, you got to tip your hat to them. Yeah, for sure. So let's get into the matchup that everybody was looking forward to this week, and that's your beloved New England Patriots. So we're going Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, just as a Pats fan, man, like what were your thoughts? I just kind of want to like take a second here to talk about like your feelings. Um, you've been a lifelong Patriots fan. So just so everybody knows, he's not a bandwagon guy. Like he's, I've known him for a very long time. He's been a Pats fan for a very long time. So what was it like, like having Tom return in a different uniform, seeing all the different tributes, things like that? Um, definitely a game that I wish you could have been at, man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was the first time in my life I've ever rooted against Tom Brady. Um, and that was a little bit surreal, you know, it's like, I want him to play well, you know, you want him to go back and have a good game, but not play like overly well. And he really didn't have like that great of a game. I mean, I think what Tom Brady did is what Tom Brady does. And what he's done for 22 years is he finds a way to win a football game. Right. And I think you've mentioned that on multiple podcasts that there's something about just finding a way to win that in this day and age where we're so Instagram, um, you know, social media highlight driven that it's more about these big plays, these electric plays, these exciting plays to watch, right? Then, you know, winning 12, 13, 14 games a year, right? And that's what Brady does is Brady finds a way to win these football games, right? He finds a way to make sure the other team's kicker dinks the ball the wrong way. I mean, he has this superpower where he just, he finds a way to win games. And I think that's what we saw. I mean, to me, the second I knew, like, it was he really wanted to win the game is fourth quarter, I think Tampa had the ball, three minutes left, and it was third and eight. And Brady took two shots to the end zone to Antonio Brown. Both were catchable passes. Um, one, Antonio Brown looked inside when he should have looked outside. If he looked outside, touchdown. Second one, a dive that Antonio Brown dropped. Brady doesn't do that. That was an absolute dive. Brady does – on third dive. and eight, Brady doesn't go for the end zone. And you could tell Brady was like, ah, I just – I want to do it, man. I want to just, you know, take the jugular. And you could tell there was a lot of emotions going on. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely interesting because I was happy. It seemed like he got a warm welcome. They cheered him when he ran down the field. That was really cool to see. And for me, you know, I knew that Bill was going to have a good game plan, right? Obviously, he's been in the same room with Brady for 22 years. Um, from Collins' work yeah. takes, it seemed like a lot of times we were lining up in zone and then playing man or vice versa. And you could tell that 
you know, whether it was the emotions or whether it was, you know, schematically what New England was doing, they had Brady, you know, decently rattled for Tom Brady. I mean, I don't think Brady's ever rattled, but they had him as uncomfortable as you can have Tom Brady, which, you know, isn't that uncomfortable when you talk about his greatness. Um, I thought they played really, really solid. And then offensively, what I liked is what I liked about New England's game plan is they finally let Mac do a little bit more. You know, we talked about Trevor Lawrence and Urban basically saying, be the savior, take the keys of the franchise, win me football games. And I said last week with New England, my biggest knock on New England at this point in the season, and granted it was only three weeks, is they're not even letting Mac contribute. Like they're so we're going to run the football. We don't want you to make mistakes that they're not putting themselves in a position to win games. And that's how the game started. I mean, in the first quarter, we tried to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball against Tampa, who's been the best run defense in the league the last year and a half, right? That's the one thing that they are absolutely elite at is stopping the run. And then as the game got going, you know, going into halftime with the 7-6 lead, the second half, they really let Mac air it out a little bit more and make some plays and go through progressions. And for me, it was really nice to see it. Um, I wanted my Patriots to win. Like, I really wanted my Patriots to win. But I'm happy for Tom in the sense that if Belichick won yesterday, everyone would have came out and said it was Belichick. And I think for that's me, that that's where it's like, you. this doesn't hurt Bill's legacy because the Tampa Bay Bucks had a better roster. They were the better team out there on Sunday. Right, but part of right. me felt like if Bill won this game, there is going to be this narrative. Because for whatever reason, like people just find a way to hate Brady, I think. There's something naturally in a lot of people where a lot of people lack greatness. And so when you see someone be that dominant for that long, it's easy to hate and find flaws. And even watching his post-game interview with for how successful he's been, like how he's so anti-LeBron James is just like mind-blowing. Where like he took credit for nothing. Like they asked him about the 80,000 passing yards and he was like, you know what? It's not me. It's my teammates. I can't catch the ball. Like you guys saw me against the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Like I can't catch it. All I can do is throw it. Right. And like, he wanted to make sure everybody felt the love. And to me, just like I, I felt like we wake up today in New England wins that football game and the narrative is like, yeah, I mean, Brady won a ring last year, but he can't beat Belichick on his own. Like Belichick was the cog. And so, yeah, it was tough, man. A very emotional night. Yeah, well, well, the the, the storyline for sure would have been that because that's the era we live in now, right? We talked so many times on the show about how every single – sports outlet is hot take and it's all for clicks and ratings. It's not about actually saying something of value or taking responsibility for the things you choose to say, because at the end of the day, like Bill is, you. I think you've laid it out the best that I've heard. Like Bill's, Bill's more uh, responsible for the first three and then Tom's more responsible for the last three. And, um, and I think, I think you could, you could go into each game and you could, Look at the details, and I think you could still say, though, even in the first three, like Tom, they don't get three without Tom, and then I, you could look at the last three and say they don't get three without Bill either, right? So I think when you look at the both of them, like they both deserve the credit that, they, that they've that they been given. Like Bill's the greatest head coach to ever coach the game, and Tom's the greatest to ever play the game at the quarterback quarterback position. So it's not it's not really a matter of like Tom is, is, is the GOAT without Bill and Bill's the GOAT without Tom because – I think like after the game, they, you know, they were trying to get something out of Tom in the post-game presser and they were asking him, you know, about conversations him and Bill have had. And he's like, you know, basically the narrative you guys have tried to create 
is not true. Like everything that I see you say about mine and Bill's relationship is just not true. And so um, he's like, we've had a lot of private conversations and we're going to keep them that way. And so I think between the both of them, like there's a massive amount of respect. Um, Bill's not going to put on a show for the media, right? Like that's why he went up to him after the game, congratulated him and turned around and left. And I it would wasn't love like a long... to know what he said. I would love to know. <laughs> what do you, if you were to just guess, like, what do you think Bill said? Good. Great job. Good game, Tom. And then just stormed yeah. away. You know, yeah. Nothing, nothing, yeah, nothing, just, nothing, yeah. nothing deep, man. Yeah, because he knows the cameras are there, the mics are there. Like he doesn't want them to pick anything up. Like anything that he wants to say to Tom, like he probably could have called them, and maybe he did. Maybe they spoke after the game. I don't know. But I think when you look at both of them and their relationship, people had to create the storyline because it made it more fun, right? Like they had to make it. They tried to pit each other, each other against one another, and um, and I get that, right? Like that's the media's job. But at the same, I mean, I sure, I'm sure there was some animosity just when you look at like the way. Bill coach Tom. Like I think Bill is the greatest coach of yeah, all Yeah, no, I'm time. not saying there wasn't any, but it's not to the level yeah, that people Yeah, 100%, but it's like it. they were together for 20 years, right? And so it's like at some point, like in any relationship, right? Rather like it's a marriage or a friendship, like 20 years is a really, really long time. There's going to be good, they're going to be right. bad. But for someone to be together for 20 years, right? There has to be more good than bad, you would assume. And I think that's the part. For sure. And I think to your point, like it's a better story if they separated, they hate each other than hey, they played for 20 years and then they ultimately like decided like, hey, at this point in their careers, it made sense to go other places. That that doesn't sell as many, you know, clicks, you know, and that's you right. know, what people right. are all exactly. about. Exactly. So talk well, to no, me no, about... Too with Bill. Oh, no, go ahead. Yep. No, I'm just going to finish with this. So I think with Bill and Tom, like when you look at both of their, both of their careers, like I don't, I don't, I'm never going to dilute either one because they're intertwined, they're umbilically connected and... um you know, I, I just, I texted you and I was like, it's just tough for me to see Tom in another uniform because I think in this day and age where there's no loyalty, like people show no loyalty anymore. Um, and especially in sports, just because of free agency and money and everybody's chasing the quote unquote bag is what the kids say. Um, Tom never did that. Like Tom never chased the money and he always stayed um, with the right alignment and the right alignment was New England. The right alignment was Bill Belichick. And, um, and he paid tribute to that. Like he said that Bill was a mentor to him. And so um, I think where it went sideways was when they drafted Garoppolo. That's where I think it went south, actually, because um, Bill and, and dude, I can't fault Bill because Bill was just trying to do what was best for the team. But uh, I think that was like an irrec an irreconcilable difference. Like I don't, I just think there was no return after that. Well, not just that, but but then supposedly like they offered Brady to the Niners, not Garoppolo. You know, is like yeah. You think Shanahan regrets that? Well, I mean, I think Shanahan regrets the fact that Brady wanted to sign there this last offseason. Like, there's a story that broke yeah. last week that Brady told, I think, Welker, who's the wide receivers coach at the Niners, you give me, mm -hmm. you know, two years 40. Well, his last offseason, off season, right? You give me. Not like yeah, before he signed Tampa. Tampa. He says, you guys give me two years 40 million. I'm not going to talk to anybody else. He, no, he was like, I'm, I'm coming. coming. Yeah. Like, I'm, there's two no. Years, 40 he's million, like, I won't even see other teams. Other teams and. 50. 250, 250, which is what he got, right? And they, they passed on right. it. And um, yeah. I don't get it. Um, I don't want to like hang out here too long, but I just, I just kind of want to ask you. Yeah. Like, what is it? Like, I, I'm a huge fan of Jimmy Garoppolo, to be honest. And I've said that. Um, and I think it was a massive mistake to draft Trey Lance. I mean, if you're going to trade up and draft a guy, I would have taken Mac, who a lot of people thought the, the Niners were going to take. But why, like, why not take Tom? 
Like, I don't care. Is it like, he's like, there's nothing that you look at and you're like, ah, I don't know if he can do it anymore. The weird thing is it's been happening for the last like 10 years. Like it's been since he's been like 34, 35. Oh, like age is finally going to catch up with him. I think at this time you just take the gamble. Like, would it shock you if Brady plays when he's 50? It wouldn't shock me. No. It wouldn't. No. And that sounds crazy because 40 sounded crazy. If Tom Brady's still playing in five years, I will not be shocked. If he retires next year, I will not be shocked. I don't know with this guy. I have no idea. I really do think he's at the point. Like, I mean, he's still motivated to win Super Bowls because if he wins eight or nine, I mean, I already think seven's untouchable. But I really do think he's like, now it's about his legacy. Like, it's about... Hey, like I'm going to do something that probably will never be done again. And like, I only have, like, I'm at this stage of my career. I'm at the end of it. I might as well just keep going and go as long as I feel like I can. I just think he loves playing. No, no, he does. I just I'm not, like, yeah, if he's, sure. like, like if he stops playing football, he's like, what am I going to do? No, for sure. Well, I mean, like, he's kind of a psychopath with like how much time he probably spends like watching film, playing football. He's probably like, bro, like, no, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of golf. That's a lot of yeah, golf. For sure. Well, let's. Let's just close out with the Monday Night Football matchup because I like honestly could hang out here all day and talk about the Patriots and Tom Brady. Um, but, dude, we got a great matchup tonight. We got the Los Angeles Chargers and the Las Vegas Raiders. It still feels so weird to say that because I know you say Oakland a lot, and I love that last show you kind of like – you were, you like intentionally said Oakland like multiple times, which I love. Oh, I say Oakland <laughs> and San Diego every day. It's, it's such a bummer to me, man. Like, I mean, it's great that – the Rams and the Chargers got a brand new stadium, but I don't know. Like I loved, I loved the Chargers being in San Diego. I loved the Raiders being in Oakland, but you understand, right? Money purposes, like money's going to drive everything. But uh, what are your thoughts on tonight's matchup? And give me your pick. Like give me your pick and score. I'm still not buying the Raiders, man. I, I don't care that they're three. No, um, I like Herbert. <laughs> it's weird that you're more sold on I the like Panthers the, than you are the I Raiders. I love the Chargers roster. I mean. I think um, yeah. who's their coach? Is it Brandon Staley? Is that his name? Brandon Staley. I mean, he. I think he at Staley. this point he has a quote of the year with with our our quarterback just gangster. I mean, he probably has the best coaching quote of the year. Um, and Herbert, I mean, Herbert's that he seems to be that guy. It's still you know second season, really young, but he's looking like he's gonna be one of those guys that take the next step. They have so oh, many yeah, weapons. Sure. I think the biggest question mark for them probably the last like two or three years is like, will Mike Williams ever take that step and give them a second option? Right. And it seems like this year, at least especially by the red zone, he's really taken a big leap forward. Their offensive line has played much better. It's really been a concern the past two or three years. And then defensively, they have playmakers at every position, D line, linebacking course, secondary. Yeah, I, I know Oakland is 3-0, right? And they had that really, like, good, gutsy win last week versus the Dolphins. But they also, like, let Miami back in that football game. Like, you know, they started off slow. They took the lead. They let Miami back. They forced overtime. There is something about, you know, finding a way to win football games, which I don't want to discredit the Raiders from doing. But you can't give the Chargers that opportunity because this Chargers team isn't the Miami Dolphins, right? And you look at the Chargers – you know, they played you guys really, really close. They had a bunch of really bad penalties late, which yep. they could be 3-0. and Just like you guys could be 4-0, the Chargers could be 3-0 and right now. And For I sure. think maybe For if they're 3-0, sure. and then Absolutely. now people would pick the Chargers because I think there is some, like, biasy to 
the record. Now, I wouldn't be shocked if Oakland won, but I just feel like Oakland's needed almost everything to go right at this point. Where like they don't because of their roster and their limitations, I don't think they have as much room for error. I, I really don't. And I think with the Chargers, their roster, in my mind, just from a roster standpoint, it's probably close to top five, where I think they have the ability to overcome a little bit more. And so I think it's a close game. I have the Los Angeles Chargers 24, and I have the Las Vegas Raiders 21. Okay. So I thought you were going to have like a little, a larger margin of victory there just because of how much you don't like the Vegas Raiders. But, um, you know, when I look at the Raiders and how I did preseason, I mean, they have they have a winning formula. And um, I think they need to run the football a little bit better. But their defense, which was your question mark, which I totally get that because I felt the same way. Their defense has played really well. Derek Carr's, I think, the front runner for the MVP at this stage in the season. Not saying that he will be the MVP at the end of the year, but he's, he's the front runner right now. So... But I think Justin Herbert, man, it's like I know we talk a lot about on the show about not getting too ahead of too ahead of ourselves and saying that this quarterback's gonna be elite, like too early in his career. But there's just certain times where you gotta make an exception because your eyes keep telling you, like Justin Herbert's that guy. And there's actually a report that came out this week that Brian Flores, the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, preferred him over to it, which you know it's crazy, man. Like I don't I don't know if that stuff's true because to me, if I'm the head coach, then you would have taken exactly. Like then you exactly. take it. So if I'm, if I'm like looking at that storyline, I'm like, okay, are you just saying that now because of what you've seen? Because that's the same guy who came out and said he wouldn't take Deshaun Watson over to it. Right. Come on, bro. Right. And so obviously that'd be a massive mistake, but um, you know, obviously pending any legal issues, if that stuff gets, if that stuff gets ironed out, Miami better go all in, like all in. Like two is not the guy. Two will not be a starting quarterback in the NFL. It's over. Like we, we said it. I mean, it's weird. Everybody thought he was the left-handed Drew Brees. They thought he was the guy that was going to come in and be that guy. And I just, I never saw it. And so anyway, when we talk about seeing stuff like with Herbert, it's, there's usually like, there's been guys that have had really strong rookie years. Like Cam Newton had a great rookie year. Honestly, he did. Um, and he had, you know, he ended up winning an MVP, but still like, it's not like Cam just had this like progressively great career where like each year he got better. Um, it was super inconsistent, but like from year one to year two with Herbert, it's just like, he doesn't feel like a rookie to me. Like, I feel like you could throw the entire kitchen sink, the entire kitchen at this guy. And it's like, it wouldn't phase him. Um, and he has that really, he, he reminds me of Andrew Luck in that sense, like his demeanor, the way that he is, like, he doesn't like to be on camera. He doesn't like dealing with the media. Like this guy literally just loves playing football. And, um, and yeah, they have a great roster and they have great talent around him. So of course, like that's going to help you. But I, this guy, dude, I think, I think he's already like top five. Like I really do. Um, and like, you know, like I said, there's certain guys we look at, like you've talked about Kyler, you know, there's certain guys you look at. Lamar and you're like I don't know or no that's not gonna work like even with Baker man I'm still like nope I don't I don't see it like I think he's he's a better option than they've had but I don't look at Baker and go they've got their guy like I don't feel that way and it's not because he's six foot I just like I don't see him as that guy like you can win football games for sure with Baker Mayfield absolutely 
And with the way that the Browns are currently constructed, they can win. But there's just certain guys, man. And I Herbert's one of those guys for me that um, because I feel that way about him, I'm like every game they're going to have a, chan- a chance. And obviously, like on paper, I think they have a better roster than than the Raiders. But um, I really like I really like the Raiders, man. And I, so if I picked them preseason, I can't now go back on like individual game picks. Um, but I think it's going to be a really close game, which you gave 24, 21, which I thought, like I said, I thought you were going to have a, a larger margin of victory, but I think, I think we're looking at a pretty high scoring game. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to say 35, 28, uh, Vegas. I think Derek Carr goes off. I think Herbert goes off. What do you think? I mean, it's not unlikely, you know, I mean, I think for the Raiders to win this football game, why don't you like the Raiders? Like, what is it about them? I think Max Crosby has done a great job getting pressure for them, and I think that's hit a lot of their flaws defensively. I just don't think they have great personnel defensively, like at every position. And I think that they've, yeah, you know, they've good. played better than the sum of their parts, and they've they've found a way to win football games. But I think like through a seventeen game season, I think a lot of times when you look at it like overall throughout like the whole season, I think the roster is going to come into play more. And I think Derek Carr has been able to hide a lot of that flaw because to your point, like whether you like Derek Carr or not, whether you think he's elite or not, like he's been elite this year. Which you don't. Which I don't I don't think like he's elite, <laughs> but he's played elite this year. Like he's played as good as yeah. any quarterback in the NFL this season. And, you know, they have some guys or, you know, they have some talent and they have like Darren Waller, who I think, you know, a top three tight end. I think a lot of that though is because of what Derek Carr does, right? You look at their like receivers and like Hunter Rentrow, like he's a nice piece, but like he's not a top 25 receiver, right? He's a good guy who like gets open in the middle of the field. Take shots at my guy, Hunter, you know, dude. runs good routes. And That's you have, Wes Walker, you have Henry bro. Ruggs, right? Who takes the top off the defense, but we're not talking about, you know, he doesn't have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. You know, he doesn't have Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. Like, he doesn't have that level of playmakers on the outside. Keenan Allen, Mike Yeah, like, he doesn't have that. And he's finding a way to get his guys in positions, which I think is really impressive. I just don't know if it's going to be enough through 17 games. But, you know, I've I've been wrong before. We'll find out. Well, that's going to wrap things up for Episode 76 of the DNC Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. Drop us a five-star review. Let us know how uh, you're enjoying the podcast uh, and uh, interact with us on Instagram. We post a lot of fun content, so uh, be sure to you know drop some questions in there, and we'll we'll do we'll cover some on the show. Um, but have a great Monday night. Enjoy the game. Have a great week. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.